Okay, pulling out the driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for drive to work. Okay, so uh, today I thought I would try a set that I actually was not on the design team for. It's actually a set I was on the development team for. Uh, in fact, it was the very first team I ever worked on, uh, Alliances. So um, let me sort of set up the, uh, the situation because uh, there's a lot of context to understand some of the stories today. Um, okay, so um, as far as personally, I had just been hired, um, as I explained. What happened essentially was uh, I got involved with Wizards through the Duelist. I first did my puzzle, and then I started writing articles for the Duelist. And then through that, I started doing freelance work for other sections of the company. In fact, I did work for, I don't know, seven some sections of the company uh, by the time before I got hired. Um, and what happened was I was a good writer and I turned my stuff in on time. And, you know, Magic was exploding and Wizards was exploding. And so there's just a lot of opportunities for work. Um, so one day I'm uh, up at the offices because they used to fly me up to do some stuff. And I happened to say that I'd be willing to move to Seattle, uh, to which the reply was, when could you start? Uh, I, mean, I actually had a, a job interview, uh, but essentially it's like, okay, we're interested in you. Um, and I, I had said to Mike Davis, the guy who hired me he, the, at the time, the VP of R&D, um, that I really thought I was a designer, not a developer. But he said, you know, they have Richard Garfield. They didn't need designers. They needed developers. So I'm like, okay. Uh, and my long-term plan was always to, you know, get into design. But I figured I, I would do what they needed, you know, get my foot in the door. Um, so anyway, when I get there, the very first thing they put me on is alliances. Now, let me stress, this was a very interesting development team. It had 13 members. Every person remotely related in R&D who had anything to do with magic was on the team. So why? Why did we have 13? So to understand this, let me give you a little history of magic. So for many years, from the, from the very beginning of magic, the way magic functioned was... Uh, they would just print as many cards as they could. So when Alpha was printed, they printed what they thought was a six-month supply. They sold it in like three weeks. Uh, so they print Beta, what they think is going to be a six-month supply. Sold it almost instantaneously. So for the first year and a half to two years of Magic, it was this game of let's completely way up our print run and then we still not need demand because Magic was growing faster than they could sort of increase the print runs. Uh, and remember the time, you know, Wizards was not a big company, and that, you know, they, they didn't have the capital necessary to invest uh, in, in large amounts of printing, not knowing the success of the product. Um, and then it started becoming a, a, a problem of printing, like how much printing time could you get? Um, I mean, eventually, obviously, we got a very strong relationship, and, you know, now we are many printers printing constantly. Uh, but back then, you know, it was something where we had to make the deals. And so what happened is each set would have more cards than set before it, but it was never enough. And so all of the people who would order started to learn, oh, well, they're only going to actually give us some portion of our allocation. So what we got to do is we got to ask for a lot. You know, otherwise, you know, to get what we really want, we have to way over ask. And so eventually Fallen Empires came around. And by Fallen Empires, Wizards had said, okay, we think we have it down. We think we can print to what we need. Okay, guys, seriously, seriously, what do you need? And the problem was nobody believed them. You know, and so everybody ordered the crazy orders that they always ordered, and Wizards were like, guys, guys, we're printing what you say, you know, and yeah, Fallen Empires was way, 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 way overprinted, you know, and Fallen Empires had some other problems, uh, what I call rarity problems, where a lot of the good cards, 
Um, you know, like most of the things you wanted were common, and you kind of want to spread them about. I mean, you want some exciting common cards, but you want exciting rare cards as well, and it was kind of all clumped at common. Um, anyway, Fallen Empires was kind of a big problem for the company because, you know, it sort of flooded the market, and it, it, it definitely did some bad things. So luckily, the next set to come out was Ice Age. And Ice Age kind of settled the waters. People were like, okay, whoo, whoo, you know, things, things are good. Um, but the set after Ice Age was Homelands. Now, I've often talked about Homelands. I've dubbed it the worst design set in Magic's history. Um, it did not go over well. It was not a very popular set. And then there were no Magic sets for seven months. Okay? So we had the Fallen Empires fiasco. Then Ice Age, which, like I said, was, was the one calm in the storm. Then Homelands. And then seven months of no Magic sets. And so what happened was, there was a lot riding on alliances. That there was a lot... Um, it was important. I mean, if ever there was a point where magic could have died, you know, it was sort of... If alliances just taint, it really would start bringing to question magic's overall health. Um, now, I had just come on, you know, and, and I, was, I was gung-ho. And, but the thing was, the company understood, okay, we can't mess this up. This has to be good. So, literally... If, if you were in an R&D and you had anything to do with magic, you were on the development team. It was, it was this giant team. Now, I've talked before, uh, I mean, my, in my column, about, about design teams. And normally, a design team, we tend to have four, maybe to six people. Um, you know, I, I've had a few smaller design teams. But if you get too big, it's a problem. And development's the same way. That if you have too many people, it just gets so hard that, you know, everybody has a voice. And it just, it takes long to come to conclusions on things. It, it's just a little unwieldy. Um, and so, it's funny that my kind of, you know, my baptism by fire, as I say, my, my first sort of real set was a very crazy chaotic set. And let me explain some of the chaos. Even above, obviously, we were trying real hard to make sure it was a good set. So, first off, the design team was what I refer to as the East Coast Playtesters. Um, Scaff Elias, Jim Lynn, Dave Petty, and Chris Page. Now, um, what happened was... Uh, I believe that Jim Lynn and Scaff Elias met each other and became friends when they both went to Princeton. Uh, and they, then they went to do graduate work at University of Penn, Pennsylvania, where they met Richard Garfield. And then they also, I think at UPenn, met Dave and Chris. I'm not 100% sure how they all got together, but they were friends. And so when Richard needed some more sets made, the four of them uh, were put to designing sets. The first set they actually were assigned was Ice Age. Now, it turns out they later went and did Antiquities, which actually came out before Ice Age came out. So the East Coast Playstation did Antiquities, did Fallen Empires, did Ice Age, and did um, Alliances. And, and by the way, they're a very talented team. You only need to look at Alliances. Alliances is like brimming with cool ideas. Like, it is one of those sets where if you kind of go and look, uh, I joke sometimes, it's almost a future site set, and that so many ideas that we would later really flesh out, you can see you have one of cards in, in Alliances. They were a very talented team. But they were definitely uh, a very passionate team. Now, at the time, uh, Jim and Scaff and Dave were all in R&D. So they were all involved with the development team because they were there. Um, and I think over the years, there's become sort of rapport between how design and development works together. And, like, as a designer, I understand the role of development, and they're going to change things. But back then... Uh, development was a little fresher. The design team was kind of like, this is what we made. This is what we want. 
How dare you change anything? And so every time the development team would try to change something, there'd be a fight between the design team and the development team. And, uh, and like a lot of the designers were on the development team. And so it, it was, there was a lot of chaos to it. Now, let me walk through the design team members a little bit. Um, Scaff Elias. Um, Scaff is quite a character. Uh, Scaff's probably best known as being uh, the creator of the Pro Tour. I know Scaff hates being called that, but I believe he is. Um, Scaff, for a long time, Scaff was kind of in R&D and just did different things that, you know, he thought would help Magic. I mean, for a while, he was actually Magic Brand Manager. Um, he was in charge of OP for a bit. I mean, he, he definitely oversaw a lot of different aspects. Uh, and he, along with Richard, uh, did a lot of sort of big picture thinking about the game and where the game wanted to be. Scaff was the one that realized that we needed an organized play structure uh, if to make Magic succeed at the level it could. And that part of that was there had to be some top-level thing for people to want to get to. That the entire system worked on, oh, well, there's this goal that you want to work toward. Now, Scaff was a very interesting... I mean, he is. He's still, still around, just not a wizard. Um, the thing I always remember Scaff is he had a sleeping bag and he would sleep under his desk. And so there were, like, weeks, I think, I don't even know if he went home. He would just, like, when he was tired, he'd crash under his desk and... You know, back in the early days when I first started, I mean, I mean, not that there aren't the clearly the hardworking people today. There are, um, but the the mentality at the time was we barely left off. I mean, we would go out to eat, maybe see a movie. You know, uh, every once in a while, go to go to Richards to play games or something. But I mean, I was at the office almost every waking moment. I wasn't you know eating out or sleeping, um, and we we would be there late. Like for example, my mom drove up with me from California. I was living in Los Angeles. Uh, when I moved up here, just to have someone to drive with me, and we get into town at like eleven o'clock, and I'm like, "Oh, do, do you want to see where I work?" And she's like, "Well, it's not gonna be open. It's eleven o'clock." I go, "Oh, no, no, they'll be there." And like we go in, and everybody's there. You know, my mom's like, "It's eleven o'clock. What's going on?" I'm like, "Well, um, yeah." One of the things that's also funny in the early days is, I mean, this is pre my my family, obviously, is I worked <laughs> insane hours. Um, I remember once. Uh, Peter Atkinson is the president of the company. Uh, he met my mom for the first time. Uh, and this is later, not, not, not the first day we were there. Uh, and he said how much he, he liked having me around because I was like having two employees. <laughs> In, anyway, uh, that's Scaff. Scaff is, is definitely a creative genius, but he is wild and random. Um, another image I always have of Scaff is he loved to wear shorts, and he would wear shorts in any weather you can imagine. And I remember walking to uh, the first Pro Tour in New York where we had a blizzard that shut down the airport. The Pro Tour was delayed because a blizzard shut down the airport and Scaff is walking through the blizzard in his shorts. <laughs> um, so Jim Lin also worked for a long time in R&D. In fact, for a while, he was in charge of non-magic game design for a while. Then he was the VP of R&D, the position Bill has now. And then for a while, he actually was a position above that. Uh, Wizards for a while had like executive VPs and certain VPs reporting to them and, and so Jim got pretty high up in the organization um, so Jim is Jim is funny because Jim definitely has a lot of he's super logical um, you know that he he was very good at sort of piecing things together but he was you know he had sort of a Vulcan mind sort of going that he, he really liked to sort of plot and plan together where Scaff was much more emotional in kind of how he made decisions um, and the two of them by the way legendary the Scaff Jim fights the one I remember is uh, uh, Scaff and Jim are fighting for I, I have no idea how long but they were fighting 
And finally, I'm like, okay, I'm tired. I, I can't watch them fight anymore. I have to go home. I'm so tired. So I go home, go to bed, sleep for some amount of time, get up, come back. They're still fighting. Same fight. They've been having the argument for who knows how long before I left through my entire sleeping and I get back to the office and they're continuing. Um, I remember there were a couple teams in which they were both on the, the development team and as they were the alliances, by the way. And those two could fight like you would not believe. Um, they, and the funny thing is they're really good friends, but they loved to argue with each other. Um, next is Dave Petty. I don't know a lot about Dave. I, we only overlapped by a couple months. Uh, he was working there when I first got there, and he left I mean, within the year that I got there, and maybe even less than that. Um, Dave, Dave was real nice. He was really smart. I mean, all these guys were really smart. Um, he was a little more quiet. Um, I don't have a lot to say about Dave. I mean, he was he was thoughtful, but he was he was. Uh, I mean, Staff and Jim were much more in your face and loud, and Dave was a very quiet, shy. Or, I mean, comparatively uh, to Staff and Jim, uh, Chris Page never worked at Wizards. Um, I've interacted with Chris a couple times. I saw him at some events, and Chris is Chris will always. Um, whenever I write about about the group, Chris reads my articles. He always will send me in little details, and you know. Uh, my correspondence with him is usually I say something in fact he'll probably listen to this and send me an email going here's the things you got right and here's the things you got wrong um, so I have, I have a little rapport with Chris and um, my favorite story with Chris is I got flown to the Ice Age pre-release um, and the first time I saw Zero and Orb I'm like because I love Dark Heart of the Wood uh, from uh, I talk about gold cards from, from uh, the Dark um, and so I'm like oh my god you can sacrifice land and get life and three life like, that seems really good because it, it costs zero it's way better than Dark Heart of the Wood which I thought was a decent card and I remember saying to Chris I go you guys printed this, this I mean, and I'm not a power guy right? I'm, I'm, I've never been good but even I was like wow this seems kind of crazy and I remember Chris was going oh no you're, you're completely wrong this, the card's absolutely fine <laughs> so I, it was just funny because Chris is a smart guy it's not real typical I just that's my one memory of, of Chris is one time I, I actually challenged him something I was like well I actually correctly identified the powerful card which is not something I'm, I'm, I'm usually good at um, so anyway, there was a team of 13 developers to make the set. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about um, what I did in the set. So I actually did my first three cards I ever designed actually are in alliances. Um, so what happened is when they would have holes, the development team would just create cards. Um, and I was trying to prove that I could design. So whenever there was a hole, I was designing cards like nobody's business. Um, and that, by the way, that's another big thing. Uh, like we just hired Dan Emmons. Uh, this is delayed a little bit because my things are delayed, but, uh, you know, a month ago or so, we hired Dan Evans, and he's a perfect, a perfect example of a guy who got in, got in customer service, came to us right away, and we knew him from the Great Designer Search, too, because he had helped a lot of people, and he's like, I want to be in R&D, I want to design magic, what can I do? And I'm like, well, design holes, and he did that like nobody's business, so much so that we started putting him on teams, and then bam, you know, I mean, a year, year and a half later, he's actually on, you know, he's now a full-time designer. Okay. The three cards that I designed, the first three cards ever designed by me to appear in a magic set for, for future trivia. Number one was Library of Latinum. So that was the card that said, okay, opponent, you get to choose. Do I get an ancestral recall or do I get a demonic tutor? Um, I'm not sure where it, I know, I think what happened was this, the art was already in, so we knew it had to be like a sorcerer instant and there was like people standing around in a library or something. Um, and I, I love the idea of I have an awesome thing, two awesome things, but you decide which of the awesome things I get. 
you know, would you rather I have the advantage of cards or rather I, I you know, get the specific of what I need? Which scares you more? Um, second card was Soldier of Fortune. That's a creature that you can tap to make target players shuffle to the library. Which is funny, by the way, that one of the first cards I made is a card that we don't make anymore. Um, we are very... I mean, not that shuffling doesn't happen, but our, our, the current stance on shuffling is we shuffle when you have to shuffle and there's no other choice. Shuffling takes time. You know, it slows down the game. And so our attitude now is kind of like, well, you know, we shuffle when we have to, but we try to avoid shuffling whenever we can. So a card that does nothing but shuffle is definitely right out. I think I actually named that card, by the way. Um, I, there's another famous card I'll get to in a second that I, I did name. Um, okay, the third card I designed was Gusta's Scepter. Uh, all I remember is when I got there, um, I, I believe this is correct, I, uh, my, uh, I had friends from L.A., one of which was Henry Stern, that I set up to be playtesters. Um, and I believe that they were the team that figured out that the original Goose Scepter was broken and they had, we had to design a new card. And so I had this idea in my mind, uh, and it's a real narrow card because you can like use it to put a card in your hand, to exile a card in your hand so that it's no longer in your hand but you can then get back later. Um, and the funny thing is I always knew like in the right deck it could be really good. And then uh, at Pro Tour Rome many years later, uh, Brian Hacker played this crazy deck with like turn one, uh, Goose Deceptor and turn two, you're dead. Turn one, Goose Deceptor, done. Turn two, you're dead. <laughs> um, and it, uh, I always laughed because, like, it was fine until, right, the exact kind of deck came along um, that broke it. And while Brian didn't actually make top eight, a lot of people believed he had the best deck, that he got unlucky and that his deck was the best deck of the tournament. And that's the most powerful, probably, standard tournament ever in the history of mankind, uh, or the side of standard. Um, so... Those are the three cards I designed. Um, like I said, none of them were standouts. I mean, I, I think I have some cards that will come later that were a little more defining cards. I mean, uh, the very next set, uh, Mirage's Morrow in it, for example, which I, I consider much more of a classic card for me. Um, now, the one other thing that I talked about is naming. So there was a uh, uh, creative team. They were called Continuity at the time. Um, and they weren't doing as much world building as they were doing. I mean, they did a little bit of world building. Uh, I, I guess they did the card concept, and so I guess they did the world building. But it wasn't as a big thing as now. Um, and so they... Um, I knew that Force of Will was going to be the card of the set. Um, in fact, that card would cause a bunch of problems, which we'll get to in a second. Um, and they had a name for it that was really lackluster. And I'm like... So I went to them, and I go, guys, guys, this is the card. Like, this, this is the man. This is the one that people are going to point to. This has to have an awesome name. And they're like look, we got a lot to do, you know. And I'm like, I said, it needs a better name. They're like, hey, look, if you give us a better name, fine, but we got a lot, a lot of other stuff to do. So I said, okay, okay. So I set out to make a better name, and I don't, I don't know how many names I looked through, but I, I spent a lot of time trying to find the right name for this card. And finally, I stumbled upon Force of Will, and I'm like, that's it, Force of Will. That is awesome. And I went to them, and I remember the response was, and like, no, no, it's a really good name. It's a really good name. And I'm like, okay. Uh, and then it got changed to Force of Will. So uh, my, my big contribution to Alliances is that those three designs, and I got Force of Will changed to be called Force of Will. Um, the other things that went on during the set, um, one of the things that was funny is uh, the design team thought it would be funny to put the word gorilla in every card title. And so, like, I think, I think Force of Will's original name was like, 
gorilla, 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 stop that. <laughs> uh, and every, anyway, every kind. That's why. That's why there actually are gorillas in alliances. Uh, you, you, I mean, if you ever look at the, I, there's a gorilla cars, and that was kind of a nod to the gorilla joke of the names. I don't really know why gorillas have anything to do with anything, but they thought it was funny. Um, so anyway, Force the Will is a good lead into the, the, the actually the big story of alliances. So uh, there's a lot of pressure wizards. There's a lot of belief that like the marbles all rode in this set, um, and so they uh, you know the the brand team and the the. Peter, uh, Peter Atkinson was the president, the CEO, and they came to us and they said, okay, guys, is this set good? We're like, yeah, this set is good. This set is good. Um, okay, this isn't you know, another homeland. No, no, Peter, this, this is a good set. Uh, meanwhile, um, customer service um, is the people who, you know, if you have a problem, you can call and answer the phones. Um, uh, like uh, the Carta uh, Ultimate Nightmare Wizard, uh, Wizard Coast customer, customer service uh, is referenced in this group. Uh, and so one of the things that they're very good about is they interface with the customers. And at the time, R&D didn't interface much with the customers. I mean, now, obviously, I make a lot of effort to do it, and, as well as other people in R&D, and social media makes it a lot easier than it once was. Um, but at the time, the experts in sort of dealing with the public was customer service. And they thought alliances was horrible. Uh, in particular, they felt that the pitch cards, like Force of Will is a pitch card where instead of uh, spending mana, you could pitch a card of the same color to play it. And they thought that was abomination. They're like, it just broke a rule that should not be broken in Magic. And, and in general, they just weren't... They just felt like it, it wasn't clicking. Um, and so... Peter started getting really nervous. The brand team started getting nervous. And we were like, guys, 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 don't worry. We swear it's really good. And then they decided to cut the print run in half. And Arndy's freaking out. We're like, oh, come on. We, we, we need to double down on this set. We need to, This set is the good set. You know, we should push this set. Um, so Arndy got together, and we, we made the following deal. So Scaff, I think Scaff went to, to, um, to Peter with his deal. He said, okay, here's what R&D is willing to do. We will put up our own money to print the other half of the printing that we were going to print. R&D will pay for it, and then here's what we'll do. We'll split with you 50-50 any profits. So if things go bad, if the set is bad, you have no risk. But if the set is good, then hey, you share the profits with us because we're, we're willing to take this risk. Um, and that made Peter realize that like, R&D, we're no dummies. And the fear's like, oh, okay. And like, we were willing to put the money, our money where our mouth was. And it made Peter realize that, okay, uh, you know, he, he put the order back up and he said, okay, I, I have faith in R&D. Um, which is funny because I always said, like, if they had a little less faith, I'd have a lot more money right now. Um, but anyway, so luckily uh, we convinced the powers to be. It, the set did go on to obviously be very successful. Um, and so, I mean, it's, it's funny because, like I said, the, it's weird how when you see a set from where it's at, like I have a lot of sets that went on to be giant sets, but at the time you don't know. Like I actually I have a review from uh, uh, Randy uh, Randy Bueller was my boss at the time uh, uh, the year that I designed Ravnica, uh, and the, the review was Mark is very confident in the set but I'm not sure we'll have to see when the set comes out and he gave me like an average grade at the time because like he wasn't willing to give me credit for the set yet because only I had to say that it's going to be really good. Um, and that's a lot. I mean, one of the things that's hard is my job is to look ahead and see, you know, what's coming. And like I said, 
uh, we had a lot of faith in alliances, but, you know, it, it was breaking a bunch of rules. I, I think pitch cards were breaking a major rule, you know. Cause, and here's an interesting thing. Let me talk about this real quick, because this is a dynamic that happens again and again. I mean, double-faced cards had the exact same... The same people who were trying to stop double-faced cards used the same argument that people were trying to stop pitch cards were, which is... Here's a game. There's certain givens in the game. I've played the game, and I've, I've learned certain rules. And all of a sudden, you're taking something that, to me, is fundamentally just what the game is and changing it. And that makes me feel uncomfortable. You are making the game something other than the game that I know and love. You can't do that. Um, and that happens a lot because... People are very passionate about the game. And every once in a while, you break a rule. Usually, it's a pretty splashy thing, but you're breaking some rules that seems like, oh, we're not supposed to break that. Um, split cards were there. I know hybrid was there a little bit. Like, every time you're kind of doing something that's fundamentally different, people are like, oh, I don't, I don't know about that. Um, and it's my job to kind of say, look, there's things you shouldn't do. Like, you shouldn't do things just to do them. But if there's a point to it, you know, the game is bigger than any... Uh, function of the game, and that, you know, it might seem like, oh, well, magic's all about knowing that your opponent can't do anything if they're tapped out, but it's sort of like, but is it? Is, is, is that fundamental to the game? Is that the core of what the game is? And whenever you challenge something, you have to sort of say, you know, is this the bearing wall of the game, to use a term uh, from architecture? So a bearing wall in architecture means this is, uh, you know, something that is holding up the building. You can't knock down this wall. If you knock down this wall, the building collapses. And so, one of the things in design is you have to understand what your bearing walls are, you know. And, like, when I hand over a set to development, I have to know my bearing walls. I have to know what about my set is really important. So, if they knock down something that isn't a bearing wall, I go, oh, okay, you know, that, that's not going to, the, the set can survive without that. But if they take something that I know is a bearing wall, I'm like, guys, 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 you can't, the set needs that. You can't take that out. The set rides on that thing. Um, and so, whenever we try to change something about magic, you've got to say, is this a bearing wall of the game? And the answer is, there's a lot less bearing walls than you think. It might seem like, oh, well, it's important to know that my opponent's tapped out, that he can't do anything. But the reality is, eh, not as important as you think. At the time, it seems very important, because that's what you know. And, and, and that's the other thing, by the way, which is, part of doing design is going into the unknown, and people can only judge by the known. You know, you can't judge by things you don't know. You have to compare it to things. In fact, the funny thing is, whenever you have a new mechanic or a new card, what everybody does is they go, well, what's card and magic is the closest to this so I can get some idea of how to think about it? You know, because if you get something truly out there, it's like, I don't know what to do. There's nothing like this card. I, I don't know how to think about it. And as magic gets older and older, it's harder and harder to do that. So, you know, it's, it's not like it happens all the time. Um, but it is something that, I mean, we have to be conscious of. Uh, so let's see. Uh... Any other fun alliances stories? Um, I don't know. The, oh, oh, here's an interesting thing. One last thing is... So, alliances... People think alliances being the follow-up to Ice Age. And the reality was... That was more on our end than it was on the designer's end. They really did not make the set to be a follow-up to Ice Age. They more made another set. Because at the time, remember... Sets weren't tied together. The idea of a block didn't, ha- didn't exist. And so kind of Ice Age and Alliances was our, our proto-getting the idea of having a block. And so what happens is, if you actually look at um, Alliances, there's very little carried over from Ice Age. I mean, a surprising little. Like, I remember, I mean, I, I think like, there was zero snow-covered things. And I think it's only a couple in the set. I mean, I remember, I remember putting on the gorilla. There's a giant gorilla that we, like, 
he gets trampled if you have snow cover or something. I mean, a minor thing, you know. And that really, when the set was designed, it wasn't designed to be uh, so much of a follow-up in, this, in the way that later blocks would have a follow-up. You know, it really had its own things to it going on, and that some of it got carried on. I think they took one or two things, but it's funny in that, you know, nowadays, like, the, the like when you have a follow-up, it, it integrates, and it's all the mechanics, and, and back then, like, that, that was such a... I mean, Alliances was really the first time we even experimented with the idea of any continuity, you know. I mean, Dominaria, I guess, had a little bit of continuity, but the first time was Expert Expansion. Here's a small set that's kind of meant to go with it. Um, and the other interesting thing was the idea that you would draft, or not even draft, but drafting wasn't really big at the time, but seal play. That you play seal play with Ice Age and Alliances, they went together, you know. I mean, I think that was a pretty, a pretty new thing in, in, in the day. Um, and it's funny because, I mean... Ice Age Alliances, by modern techniques, was a, a, not the greatest limited environment. Um, but in the day, it was, it was an advancement, you know. And that's the hardest thing to remember is, you know, looking at things not in modern context, but in the context of where they were at the time, you know. Because Alliances, in my mind, you know, was one of the really revolutionary sets of its time. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm proud to have worked on it. You know, I mean, I, I didn't have a lot to do with it. There was 13 people, you know. Like I said, I designed three cards and I named Forts of Will, you know. But hey, that, I, I was excited to be part of that set because it was a very cool set. So I've just parked my car here at Wizards, which means it's time to end today's episode. Um, I enjoy talking about alliances, and I'll see you next time because it's time to make the magic cards.